We light this candle as a sign of peace in the coming light of Christ. As we await Christ's coming, we remember the promises of the prophets of the child who is to come, that he shall be called ruler of nations, Emmanuel, desire of nations, radiant dawn. We remember these promises even as we say, come Lord Jesus. As we see these candles lit, we anticipate the coming of the Christ child, whose light we celebrate even now. As we see the light of these candles, <clears throat> we await with anticipation the one who has come and who is yet to come. We remember Christ's promise that he will come again, even as we say, come, Lord Jesus.
to God who is able to strengthen you according to the, my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now is disclosed, and through the prophetic writings is made known to all the Gentiles, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and transcendent God, on this day you slipped into the vulnerability of flesh and showed us that we will never be alone. We ask you to soften our hearts for your humble arrival. Open our minds to the holy mystery being born this day. And prepare us for your grand reversal of all that threatens to tear us apart. You, O oh God, who chose a swaddle over a crown and a manger over an empire, may your transforming peace surround us once more. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our God, with us. and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia on this fourth Sunday of Advent, also known as Christmas Eve. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of the Lord, and it is in Christ's name that we greet one another. Therefore, it is a word of welcome that is said with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. We are glad and grateful to be here together. We do ask everyone, members and guests alike, kindly to sign the friendship tab, which you'll find on your pew. If you'll sign your name, we'll be able to note one another's presence and greet one another by name following worship. And likewise, to those worshiping in other locations, we'd be delighted if you would join in signing the virtual friendship pad. We'd like to invite everyone to a time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service in Old Buttonwood Hall, which is just out this door to my right and down a short hallway there. You will find our deacons have prepared some light refreshments, but most importantly, the opportunity to greet one another in fellowship. I'd like to highlight just a couple things from the announcements portion of your bulletin. The first is to make note the fact that this service is the fourth Sunday of Advent service, so you'll notice a distinctly Advent flair to the hymns in the service. But at 4 o'clock and at 8 o'clock, you will get all the Christmas carols you could ever want to sing, I think. And we would uh, love to welcome everyone back to worship at 4 o'clock for the celebration worship service. That one is particularly designed with children and young families in mind. And at 8 o'clock, we will have our traditional lessons and carol service, both back here in the sanctuary. If you made a dedication of a poinsettia in, in honor or in memory of a loved one, I invite you to take that poinsettia at whichever service you are attending. We would love for them all to go home with those who have dedicated them today, if possible. So we invite you to do that. Uh, let's see. Everything else I think I can commend to your attention on our church website. Let's continue our worship with our confession of sin. We may be tempted, especially on a morning like this one, to rush past the waiting and watching of Advent and to dive headfirst into our Christmas celebration. But in the midst of our busy holiday schedules, we are being invited in this moment to pause, to humbly reflect on where we've been and what we've done, 
and to bear witness to the signs of God's kingdom appearing in our midst. So come, let us take this small, simple step towards the manger by praying together, first in unison and then in silence. Let us pray. O God, who calls us to wait with anticipation for the revelation of your goodness in our midst, our Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, we confess that we are becoming impatient with awaiting. While we know that good news has dawned from on high, we look at the condition of the world around us and become suspicious of such gospel claims. The problems seem insurmountable. The world seems to be getting meaner, not kinder. The new creation seems so far off. Perhaps we even begin to ask, are we there yet? And yet, you always hold redemption before us. You always offer us new life and call us to live, believing that you are, will yet do a new thing. So forgive our sin, we pray. Enable us once more to say, Come, Lord Jesus. We find peace this day, not in our preparations or in our good deeds, but in the unqualified acceptance from the divine. God offers us grace, not because we are deserving, not even because we asked, but because God loves us so. God loves us enough to be born into this world and to live alongside each one of us. Friends, the very good news of this day is that God loves us, God accepts us, God hears our prayers and forgives us. God is with us this day. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7. Listen for God's word for you. Now, when the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See, now I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved among the people, all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word to any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all of your enemies before, from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the names of the great ones of all the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over the people of Israel. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Here ends the first reading. Our gospel lesson comes to us from the gospel according to Luke, the first chapter, verses 26 to 38. Continue to listen to the word of God to us this day. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. <clears throat> the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son, 
And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. What does it mean to be favored? In trade, it means to be given an advantage. Low tariffs are levied, a high quota of imports is permitted, you get treated better, or your nation does, to be more accurate. To be favored personally is to be treated differently, better I presume. Perhaps you advance professionally. Perhaps you are offered a mortgage that others would not receive. Or it could be even a little less savory than that. Information could be given that allows a benefit from which others are excluded. To be favored in modern life seems by definition to include a shadow side. The benefits offered to one individual are perhaps denied to another. Do you remember the television sitcom Frasier? The lovable snob, Frazier Crane, and his equally neurotic brother, Niles, are absolutely fixated on class. The drive for the best of everything leads them on a merry chase of conspicuous consumption, but not too conspicuous, that would be tacky, in the belief that anything less than the best is a compromise. In a particularly telling episode, they receive entry to an exclusive spa by pulling strings, by calling in favors. As they are being pampered excessively and charged exorbitantly for the experience, they are blissful until, that is, they see a gold door that leads from their spa experience into the next tier up. Their happiness is dashed, and soon they will stop at nothing to improve the quality of their already over-the-top experience. By throwing their money and their influence around, they finally gain admission to the diamond level. Soon they are on massage tables, wrapped in seaweed and covered in honey. Again, 
they are blissful until they see the next door. This time, a reinforced steel door. Seeing the security door, they inquire about it, and the staff member tells them that it is an area closed to patrons. As the staff member goes through it, they see a golden glow emanating from behind the door, and soon they again will stop at nothing to gain entrance. So with their seaweed still wrapped around them, they hop to the door, and waiting for the coast to be clear, they go through into the golden light, which turns out simply to be the glare of the sun off the dumpster in the alleyway behind the spa. As the door clicks locked behind them, Niles asks Frazier, Are those bees I hear? <laughs> of course it is not limited to sitcoms and other such lighthearted fare. Seeking favor, searching out favor, pursuing favor at any cost can be corrosive to our character. How many of us, if we spring for first class or luck into an upgrade or blow every mile we ever accumulated in pursuit of a luxury experience, aren't at least a little bit tempted to look over our shoulder to make sure the flight attendant has pulled that dinky little curtain shut to ensure that we aren't mixing with the hoi polloi. Truly, the fixation on achieving favor has led many people down an ever-darkening path to achieve an advantage politically, economically, personally. Many have walked a path that led them straight through the prison doors. I'm not speaking poetically. There is a long list of people who have enjoyed sojourns in Club Fed because of the trading of favors. Now when Mary offers her song immediately on the heels of the Annunciation from the Angel, none of this is implied. Now the lectionary has strangely divided up the story of Mary throughout this year and we have received it in bite-sized pieces throughout the weeks of Advent, but really it is an arc that begins with the Annunciation to Mary, culminates perhaps, I might argue, in the visit to her cousin, Elizabeth, and then from there she sings the Magnificat, words with which we are well familiar. But when Mary sings her opening song in Luke's Gospel, none of this pursuit of favor is implied. None of it is desired. None of it is seen as good. When Mary reflects on the favor of God, she is not exulting that God has set her aside from an ordinary life to one of exalted privilege. Here I think the King James translation captures better what Mary feels when she says that God has regarded her lowly estate and made her blessed. Because we do well to remember that in the economy of the first century, Mary was a nobody. She was an eminently forgettable, insignificant person from an eminently forgettable, 
insignificant place. Mary and Joseph and Jesus were throwaway people, at least in the eyes of Theophilus or anyone else who would have heard Luke's story. But then, suddenly, she's not that anymore. Suddenly, she's favored. And what's fascinating about Mary's song is that she doesn't equate being exalted with being lifted up above others of her station, but rather in this new reality, she sees and sings of a script that has been flipped. And in the flipped script, the hungry are filled with good things, and it is the rich who suddenly notice their emptiness. The powerful are knocked off their thrones, and what is notable about her song is not that it is filled with schadenfreude and animosity, but simply that it notes that God has blessed the poor, the meek, and the lowly. The story of Mary is a foreshadowing of God's kingdom. Now, one thing that's useful to remember in reading the gospel according to Luke is that Luke has a pretty low esteem for the rich. It's sort of an epithet that he spits out at anyone of means. To be rich, that's the way you can hear it said, to be rich for the gospel writer Luke is no compliment. And so for us, as we wind our way through waiting for the celebrations of Christ's birth, the story of Mary contains a challenge. Her challenge reflects God's economy. The words that come from her mouth show the way that God computes value. If we stay with Mary's story, all the various parts of it, we recognize quickly that to be favored, to be blessed, is in turn to be a blessing. And there is an end game to God's blessings. God does not shower them willy-nilly, although at times it may seem that way, but there is a purpose for them. The blessings of God lead us to shalom. They lead us to the peaceable kingdom that God intends for all of creation. And if that is the intention of God for the blessings that God has given us, then striving for anything less is aspiring for less than what God wants from us and for us. In a murder mystery series authored by G.M. Malliott, Father Max Tudor muses over what it means to be a person of means as he sleuths out the killer of a particularly posh but unloved and unlikable aristocrat. Lord Lyolivet seems to be representative of all that is problematic of inherited wealth. He considers himself to be better than others for no reasons other than he has favor. He considers his privilege to give him intrinsic value. And so he does nothing from his standpoint of wealth and favor to benefit others. Perhaps it evokes for us memories of Ebenezer Scrooge. And Father Max muses that while so many persons of means give so generously and so deliberately to make their blessings 
a blessing to others. It only takes one or two people behaving selfishly to tarnish how people see wealth entirely. Just to put a really fine point on it, to be blessed by God is to be expected to bless others. What the story of Mary and her Magnificat understands is that the hoarding of blessings turns what is supposed to be a benefit for the many into the detriment of the few as we contemplate what it takes to do to preserve rather than to share. That is what the story of Mary calls for from us. And anything less is a misuse of what God has given us. As we have contemplated the season of Advent, we have cycled through hope, love, and joy before coming ultimately to peace. Each of these words, so often the words of the faith community, are represented in the lighting of the candles of our Advent wreath. The liturgy assigns peace to the fourth Sunday of Advent. And in God's creation, peace is a state of balanced well-being that God intends the world to reflect. Peace is what God created the world and us to experience. Indeed, God's desire is not so much that we should sleep in heavenly peace as it is that we should live in earthly peace. And so all of these blessings that God has lavished on the world have one goal. It is the restoration of that peace, that shalom that God wills for creation. And so as we see God's goodness unfolding around us and before us, our charge is clear to receive the blessings of God in order that we might be bringers of God's peace. I hope perhaps you have heard this story before. It's an old story of the Christmas Day truce from the First World War, recounted by a British machine gunner, Bruce Bairnsfather. He writes, Here I was in this horrible clay cavity, miles and miles from home, cold, wet through, and covered with mud. There didn't seem the slightest chance of leaving except in an ambulance. At about 10 p.m., Baron's father noticed a noise. I listened, he recalled, away across the field among the dark shadows beyond. I could hear the murmur of voices. He turned to a fellow soldier in his trench and said, Do you hear the Germans kicking up that racket over there? Yes, came the reply. They've been at it for some time. The Germans were singing carols as it was Christmas Eve. In the darkness, some of the British soldiers began to sing back. Suddenly, Baron's father recalled, we heard a confused shouting from the other side. We all stopped to listen. The shout came again. The voice was from an enemy soldier speaking in English with a strong German accent. He was saying, come over here. 
one of the British sergeants answered, you come halfway, I come halfway. What happened next would, in the years to come, stun the world. Enemy soldiers began to climb nervously out of their trenches and to meet in the barbed wire-filled no-man's land that separated the armies. Normally, the British and the Germans communicated across no-man's land with streaking bullets and only occasional gentlemanly allowances to collect the dead. But now, there were handshakes and words of kindness. The soldiers traded songs, tobacco, and wine, joining in a spontaneous holiday party in the cold night. Baron's father could not believe his eyes. Here they were, the actual practical soldiers of the German army. There was not an atom of hate on either side. And it wasn't confined to that one battlefield. Starting on Christmas Eve, small pockets of French, German, Belgian, and British troops held impromptu ceasefires across the Western Front, with reports of some on the Eastern Front as well. Some accounts suggest that a few of these unofficial truces remained in effect for days. In a world where war seems so present this year, could we dare to hope for such peace? That is the world that the gospel sings about this day. That is the world that we might dare to sing about as well. And to sing that song is what it means to be blessed. It is what it means to be favored. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
As we continue to prepare for Christ's arrival on earth, let us affirm our faith in him using the words from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Come, let us confess together what we believe. The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God, of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him human nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the human, were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very human, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and humankind. You may be seated. In reflecting on the Christmas season, the 13th century theologian and mystic Meister Eckhart wrote, We are all meant to be mothers of God. What good is it to me if this eternal birth of the divine son takes place unceasingly, but does not take place within myself? And what good is it to me if Mary is full of grace, if I am not also full of grace? What good is it to me for the creator to give birth to his son if I do not also give birth to him in my time and my culture? This then is the fullness of time when the son of man is begotten in us. As we consider this day the tremendous responsibility put on young Mary's shoulders, we remember the responsibility that is also put on our own to give life to God's presence in the world. We come to our time of offering, daring to believe that our physical, spiritual, and communal gifts can be sites of the sacred in our broken and hurting world. So come, let us give of ourselves. Let us give life to God once more. Our tithes and offerings will now be received.
Emmanuel, God with us, God of peace and promise, bless these collective gifts and our efforts for your mission of peace on earth. Prepare our hearts for the holy mystery being born within us and through us this day and fortify us so that we might boldly participate in your transforming and healing work in the world. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, your beloved child of Bethlehem. Amen. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Holy God, who is with us, time and time again throughout your scripture, you tell your people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, you say, even though there is still much to be feared, even though wars still rage, empires still conquer, and human lives are still sacrificed at the altars of privilege and status and greed. And yet you continue to say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because I am with you. You, creator of the universe, you, master of the cosmos, you, O oh God, take on flesh and join us in the struggle. You entangle yourself with our lives and souls and bodies. You share with us in our risks and possibilities. You boldly declare that we are in this together. The beauty, the mess, the work, we will do this together. You tell us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to feel hopeful, to sow peace, to exude joy, to love and be loved. Do not be afraid because you, O oh God, will keep your promises. You do not turn away from us when things get tough. You do not give up on us. You do not defend power or privileged or institutions at the expense of our humanity. You are born, O oh God, at the margins of our world to reveal how dearly each of us is loved, even those of us who are so regularly forgotten and cast aside. God, it is in the dim light of these Advent candles. We know that there isn't much to see but our honest selves. We have just enough light to see a broken piece of me, a messy part of you, and the enduring presence of our God who stubbornly refuses to leave our side. Abide with us in this place and birth within us a new creation, something healing, something true. We offer to you now, O oh God, our aches for the world, and our fears for the future. We offer to you now, O oh God, our gratitude for the people and places that fill us with purpose and with joy. We offer to you our uncertainty and our questions and our doubts, trusting that they too are sacred offerings. Meet us, O oh God, in our honesty 
You tell us once more that we do not need to be afraid. Speak your truth. As we pray the prayer your child taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen.